RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 8, Letters to Star Trek, Draft Introduction by Gene Roddenberry, 1975. Support for The Trek Files comes from our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the first starship in the collection, Star Trek The Next Generation's Enterprise D, for only $4.95 with free shipping when you sign up now at st-starships.com slash thetrekfiles. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Thanks, and welcome, Deep Divers, to another edition of The Trek Files. And again, today we've got a piece that's a little more obscure. I don't even know if a lot of you have been able to see the source material. I know it's out there, but there was a book, Susan Sackett, Gene Roddenberry's longtime assistant, uh, published a book in the mid-70s as Star Trek Fandom and the Phenomenon, and those realizing that they could um, make some coin off of the franchise as they fed that passion hunger. Uh, Susan wrote a book called Letters to Star Trek, where she actually took the years of fan mail, just 10 years at that point, uh, pre-movie, and definitely pre-internet, when people actually did type letters and put <laughs> lick stamps on envelopes to communicate their passions and their feelings. And she published a great collection with, with a lot of context and some interviewing uh, called Letters to Star Trek. And our piece today that we've pulled out is from Gene's forward to that book. In fall of 1966, when Star Trek went on the air, none of us making the show bothered to inquire about fan mail. All of the television critics had blasted our series and their television columns, and I think we probably feared that any letters from the audience might be saying much the same thing. It was the famous science fiction writer Isaac Asimov who changed this for us. He sent a rather annoyed message to our office saying that he had taken some time and trouble to write us his comments on the show, and he did not particularly appreciate that the only reply he received was a machine autographed picture of Mr. Spock. I was properly mortified, highly apologetic, and also considerably relieved to learn that his comments had been congratulatory in nature. I suspect that as the years go by, the same kind of thing will be happening to some of our young fans. The quality of certain letters indicates some exciting futures will happen. I suppose it is even possible that I'll walk into a studio or network office someday and find the company president there as someone who once wrote Star Trek a fan letter. Hey, wouldn't that be nice? We'll be right back after a short word from our sponsor. Star Trek fans, your ships have come in. The official Star Trek Starships collection from Eagle Moss is the ultimate collection of the most significant vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each ship is cast in a specially formulated metallic resin and hand-painted with reference to actual production models. Each also comes with a display base and collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. Start your collection today with the USS Enterprise 1701D for only $4.95 with free shipping. New models ship twice monthly and you may cancel your subscription at any time. 
For details on the entire collection and to order, visit st-starships.com slash the track files. Make it so at st-starships.com slash the track files. Well, I, something as uh, something down to the level of its fan mail and that Susan Sackett was able to write a book about it is just one other aspect of how unusual Star Trek was in the mundane world of television. And that's what this book's about. That's what Gene's piece here is about. And, and I'm glad that I've got back here as a guest co-host today, our good friend John Champion from Mission Log Podcast. Hello. Pleasure to be here again. Good to, yes, yeah. good to have you back. And um, hey, I, I, but before we get into this document, I got to ask something right away, right away, because there's something that jumps out to me from that reading, <laughs> um, the Isaac Asimov story. Okay, so we know that Gene had a correspondence with Isaac Asimov right. at some point, no question about it. This intro was written 10 years after Star Trek was on the air. I say it's apocryphal. <laughs> we know- I, I, I say that if a letter came from Isaac Asimov anywhere between 1966 and 1969, that he did not get a machine autographed picture of Mr. Spock back in the mail. I bet that letter made its way to Gene Roddenberry, and Gene Roddenberry said, whoa, we got a piece of mail from Isaac Asimov. I think that's apocryphal, but it's a good story. Oh, it's a great story. And we know that by the time of the middle... The early wave of the New York conventions, the early ones in the mid-70s, that mm-hmm. they were good friends. Yes. Or that they had met at a convention and become fast friends. Right, right. Uh, and they were advising each other through those, through those years. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, no, but, but, but the point is well taken. The, I mean the, the point obviously is that, okay, I agree. You don't read your reviews. You know, but if fans are writing to you, those are the ones that you do read because they, they're more into it than the critics Well, are. that's what he makes the point of in yeah. this entire – this is a one, two, three – yeah, this is a mm-hmm. three-page double-spaced typed introduction that he wrote. And his point here is, once again, as I said, it makes the point of how in every conceivable aspect of the show and its effect and its audience – Star Trek was unlike anything we'd seen before, Captain. (laughs) Down to the fan mail because he says Desilu routinely had a fan mail service answer fan mail. And you would get something – you'd get a form letter. You would get a photo of somebody signed if you happen to – you know. Uh, very rarely did it break through, and when they were first working on the, the first season, they did they were busy pulling their hair out working 20-hour days sure, right, to get the sure, show done. Yeah. And it took – his point is that it took Isaac's letter to break through now, whether it was the letter. But at some point uh, – because you hear you even hear Nichelle talk about how they they were embarrassed to send her all of her fan mail. They were sending her a fraction of her fan mail because they didn't want to embarrass Bill and Leonard. Right. <laughs> Now, right, talking right. about apocryphal, maybe, yeah, yeah, but that yeah. all the actors were getting mail. That that I'm sure that I'm sure Bob Jespa, I'm sure I'm sure that Irving Feinberger was getting fan mail about props. <laughs> you probably you know? sent some. I'm sure Matt <laughs> Jeffries was getting fan mail at the time. Yeah, it's it's just incredible that Star Trek was writing a new paradigm because again, the in the fan passion. And involvement that it was it was stirring up among an audience out there. No one had any the, – the suits, the boring people of Hollywood, of marketing, they had never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a rock group. It wasn't a singer. It wasn't Elvis. It wasn't Bing. It wasn't the Beatles, right? It wasn't yeah, a yeah. movie that even comes and goes. It was a series and, again, it broke the paradigm. That's why a fan mail, a fan mail letter book made – that's why a book about fan mail – could make so much sense. And if you can actually get a copy of the book and read it, I mean, Susan, the, just talking about the book itself, the mm-hmm. story that pops up to me is 
there was a Vietnam veteran who talked about how his unit was pinned down somewhere under Viet Cong fire, yeah. and they had to talk to each other, and they didn't, but they they were keeping radio silence, but they had to get out. And there he was, their uh, you know company leader, or whatever, and he just went into Kirk, Spock, Sulu. Wow. McCoy Scotty lingo and wow. started calling all of – whether they had that set up or not or he just launched into it yeah. and started talking about phasers and photon torpedoes and deflectors and calling all of his other unit guys by their – by code names using Star Trek characters. And they knew that they were being heard by yeah. the Viet Cong. Yeah. But they so freaked them out that they pulled it off huh. and they were able to get away and escape. And he later on shared that with her in a letter. And there are so many you know, people who have – had catastrophic things happen in their life or accidents or medical situations or, you know, personal situations. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's just a really uplifting, incredible, and at times crazy book, as you would expect. So she's got 10 years of the first wave of while it's on the air and while it's in reruns. But so it's an incredible book if you can find yeah. find a copy. And it's a snapshot in time too. And it's right. back when people, again, wrote letters. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Such an odd thing. So – and we skip to the end uh, because there's this little coda in the uh, introduction here where Gene is talking about – the impact oh, that yeah. he hopes that Star Trek has in the future and that, that section about uh, hoping that he walks into a studio one day and maybe some executive is somebody who wrote a fan letter to Star Trek when, when that person was a child. Yeah. And here we are 50 <laughs> years later, more than 50 years later, and that has happened. That's I know Gene, that's happened. Gene didn't get to necessarily right. meet those people, but that has definitely happened. I think in the in the mid eighties, when Gene was talking about bringing back Star Trek, that wound up becoming the next generation, he would have wished he had a few fanboys and fangirls yeah. in the executive <laughs> rooms. But he lived long enough to see people like kind of the first wave, Ron Moore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then all those all the guys that Michael Piller wound up bringing into the fold with Next Generation, uh, Renee Echevarria yeah. and Narain Shankar and Bran and Braga, yeah. and then eventually Brian Fuller and Rob Doherty and uh, uh, Terry Metalis, who were assistants to the writers later on. Um, all of those guys becoming Star Trek fans and how it affected them and, and their work on the series and then on all the shows they went off to go and, and show run. But I don't know about I don't know if I've ever heard any of them writing a letter to the show. I do know <laughs> I do know, and it was a source of a little bit of fun and embarrassment back in the day. I know Ron Moore wrote a letter to Trek Magazine oh, that nice. was that was um, about the time the motion picture came out, oh, expressing cool. an opinion. And we got him one time, uh, f- found that, realized it, co- made copies, and just put it in his mailbox just to see his reaction. <laughs> Like, did, did anybody see this? Wait, was it complimentary or was it? No, it was uh, like your typical fan. It was okay. like a, it was a well-leavened letter. But of course, as a fan, he was pointing out things he had a problem with. I can't believe you changed the uniforms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It was. Yeah, but it was you know it went on for you know like eight or ten paragraphs. Wow, a typical fan letter back yeah, yeah. back in the day. But he did. It's it's amazing to some, we talk about how prescient Gene was mm-hmm, and how fortunate. Mm-hmm. The fact that he even got around to talking about someday fans will be running this show right, and, right. and running Hollywood. And that's what that's what's amazing. Yeah. Well, and ironically, though, I mean, you, you do have people who work for Star Trek who kept their fandom secret 
at least for a while. Right. And then they could sort of let their geek flag fly for a while. You know, you, well, you always hear the story about like Doug Drexler, Mike and Denise Akuda, um, and they're they're secretly geeking out about everything, but they're going to play it cool. That was the that <laughs> next generation began, and mm-hmm. all of this phenomenon got started on a on a higher plane. Star Trek craziness uh, version two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a because there was a long time suspicion from the top down that if you were a fan and you worked on the show, you were leaking information, you were stealing stuff, which no one would want it. If you loved the show, you right. would you would not do that for risk of losing your job. Right, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, but yeah, eventually, and the world turned. The geeks did eventually win. We eventually got to the Big Bang <laughs> right. generation, right? And everybody right. could come out of the closet, so to speak, <laughs> and it became a plus. Um, that by the time of Voyager DS9 and Enterprise and now Discovery, that, yes, you can let your geek flag fly, especially if it's a Trek geek flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's for a little sure. United Federation of Planets banner. Or a- for sure, for sure. Well, I just love that you know the, this was a period of time, the, this mid-'70s period, where it, it's like the, the Gene Roddenberry character is – fully forming. So he made mm-hmm. the show in the 60s, and then you had the, this brief little diversion with the animated series. But now, like, these documents are coming fast and furious, where he's engaged with the fandom because the fandom is becoming super engaged with Star Trek. And who better to go to than the man who created it all? And he is eating it up. He's absolutely <laughs> relishing every opportunity to tell these stories about making the show, and maybe, I, I'm going to say it, tweaking history a little bit. <laughs> 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 Guru Gene would never do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, but it, it's, it's again, we've, we've talked before about walking that line between uh, celebrating your past achievements uh, unless they were a failed little show and then getting on with your work. But he had a string of, of pilots here that didn't sell. Star Trek was looking like the how do you how do you go back to a past event? It's got to be bigger and better than it was. It's got to be the it's got to be the critter that you know broke the mold, and that's yeah. what Star Trek was turning into. Yeah. So it was okay to embrace that, and especially that that period. And it was going to be a small movie, then a larger movie, then a TV series, and then back to a big uh, Hollywood blockbuster level movie that the motion picture ultimately became. Um, that is worth embracing, and yeah. that is worth. But again, this book came out in 1976, which was. Uh, by the time that the tech manual had been released and was on the New York Times bestseller list for three months at number one, wow. the, the, the financial aspects of Star Trek's bright future were also piling up right along with the incredible groundbreaking popularity the show was starting. And again, it's all before the internet. It's all before it was so easy to click two buttons and you're there. People had to go People had to go earn their fandom back then, damn it, <laughs> and, uh, and pay for it and, and connect up on their own. And, um, and, and, and at this point, Gene is going to be a part of that in any way, shape, or form that he can. Yes, yes, yes. And the <laughs> fact that he's able to help maybe help Susan uh, navigate her book contract here mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. Valentine. But again, people are scrambling to find book titles. Uh, Star Trek Lives had already been out. Uh, David Gerald's written his books Mm-hmm. People are starting to write not just books about the making of the show, but analysis and treaties books. And and Susan's able to kind of navigate those waters here. And then and and Gene 
talks about that. There's also some other little gems in here. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, we all talk about how Dorothy Fontana started as Jean's assistant and then was quickly promoted when she had her, she was on her way up as a writer coming in that way to, to get more work. Wound up the story editor on the series and, and wrote in the industry. Anita Doohan, Jimmy Doohan's second wife, oh, right, was yeah. uh, in this introduction. He just casually drops how Anita Doohan was there, uh, his assistant, the third year of the series, huh. which I didn't really realize at the yeah. time, um, and moved on. And how Susan would probably do the same thing, how Star Trek's family was coming in and learning and growing and, and assimilating into the industry in different ways. Um, so uh, these little corners of the files are just so fascinating for the tidbits they give us past the same old, same old. And that's why I, that's why I, love, I love finding these. Excellent. Well, if you want to take a look at the full document, remember you can do that at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and portal47.net at larrynemachek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.